What is up, guys? Welcome back to Pariah Nation, and this is the first episode in a lengthy number of installments of podcasts that we're going to be having for season eight. And today we're going to be talking about cancelled culture. And as usual, we have one of our frequenting guests, um, Jamil. Would you like to introduce yourself for the newer listeners that might not necessarily know you? No problem. Good um, morning, afternoon, evening, and night to those who are listening. My name is Jamil Ninsu. Um, some of you may know me by my TikTok handle, Douglaboy. I am of, I'm from Jamaica, and I am currently an African-American studies major. So I look forward to this conversation that Adnan and I are preparing to have. Yeah, thank you so much for being on here. And of course, we have to acknowledge uh, our boy Jamil for being recognized by BuzzFeed in one of the articles and talking about anti-Blackness in the Muslim community. He's going to appear on one of our last episodes of this entire season where we're going to be talking about anti-Blackness in the Muslim community. So keep, uh, keep in tune for that. Uh, I'll let you guys know more about that. But as of today's topic, we're talking cancel culture. So, I mean, first off, let's just start off by defining cancel culture. And I think I would personally define canceled culture as a group of people. Let's say someone does something that is perceived to be wrong or it offends a group of people. Those groups of people then take action to deplatform this person essentially. And I think there's an element of cancel culture that is sort of unspoken, but it's like you never really want to see them come back. So um, it's like, you know, you get one chance and if you squander that chance, then you're sort of just, um, I mean, gone forever. So before we, we get into the nitty gritties, what are your general thoughts, Jamil, especially this year? Because I don't know how many people have, supposed, some, so many people are supposed to be canceled and didn't get canceled. And we've tried to cancel so many people. So let, let us know your general thoughts. So when it comes to cancel culture, I think that it's very nuanced, right? Because sometimes you can feel as though those you think should be canceled get canceled and those who you wouldn't want to see canceled or you don't see the benefit of canceling them are the ones who do get canceled. Um, I can think of a few examples, but I'll save those for later on in the conversation. And I agree. It, it really is. It's this idea that I, when I think of cancel culture, I really do think of the, the, um, the novel, The Scarlet Letter, because essentially, you know, somebody has done something, they have transgressed against the greater community, and you have now branded them as, you know, in this case, would be like the Scarlet Letter C for canceled. And so those are just my very basic, you know, bare level thoughts when it comes to cancel culture. I think that it can be helpful in some cases. I think it, it varies from case to case, because in some cases, the person does deserve the loss of platform, but in other cases, there can be room to grow from you know whatever that controversy may have may have been yeah totally 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 agree i think um my general thoughts about cancel culture is um i think it's generally problematic uh in the sense that i mean we'll get we'll get into this later on but i feel like it just sort of makes every single creator like on their toes because some people make mistakes and they're genuine mistakes right they acknowledge the mistakes, but it just, it's very toxic in the sense that people are looking for ways to bring people down, right? Especially when it comes to these gray areas, et cetera. I'm not talking about 
um, and we'll get into this a bit later, but like clear cut cases where it's like so atrocious that no other human being would consider that this person worthy of having a platform, right? I'm talking about the gray areas where there's some debate about what actually happened, right? I think that sometimes people just are so quick to bring others down. And then when it happens to them, it's like, oh no, you know, have mercy on me sort of thing. The thing is everyone wants to do the canceling, but they don't want to be canceled. And that's a major issue that I feel. And let's sort of like assess the main things that people get canceled for. Like, I want to ask your opinion, first of all, like, do you personally think that someone should get canceled for saying the N-word? So off the bat, I want to just say yes, right? I want to say that if you're not Black, half Black, whatever the case may be, that if you don't have any connections to the African continent or the the Black race, depending on how you look at things, I'd like to say that, you know, you should be canceled for it. But it goes deeper than that, right? I can say that a grown man, grown woman, um, grown person should be canceled, you know, for using the for use of the N-word. Now, when it comes to younger children, especially those, you know, like teenagers, even some children, because, you know, in this day and age, anyone can have a platform. I think it goes a little deeper because you kind of have to ask yourself, is this child actively perpetuating racism? Or do they realize that this is a word that has a shock value and therefore they're using the word for the shock value, right? Like I can say that back when I was like 10, you know, I used to say H-E double hockey sticks just because I knew that that was a word that would like, like it, it, I don't know how to explain it, but like, I feel like everybody knows there was like a word they used to say when they were younger that they weren't supposed to say, but they said it because of, you know, the power that it, that it had. And so I can say honestly that I think when you're an adult, you know, when you're older, when you have the, the capacity to rationally think about these things and understand what that word means in the present day society and context, you, you should be canceled, especially if this is an ongoing thing especially if this is done in a very derogatory way. And of course the N-word is a derogatory word, but you know, you, you have people who actively use it to dehumanize others. And I feel as though those are definitely, that's when the word should be, that's when those who use the word should be canceled. Hmm. That's, that's an interesting take. Um, I think I'd probably have a more uh, nuanced sort of position, right? I do agree with you on the grown adult thing. And I think context matters heavily because I think there are people, some people have said it in songs, for example, right? And sometimes it's innocent and other times it's not, right? Uh, Mainly because I don't think people understand the systemic ramifications of being, like, you know, being able to perpetuate a word like that. And I think there's some people, if if you use it, in my opinion, to belittle someone and to sort of make them feel small, or to play, to you deliberately use that choice of words, right, as uh, as a way to insult someone in the same way that people did in the segregation period or the slave era, then I think you should be canceled after that. If it's in that context, very much yes, because you knew what you were doing. I don't care how angry you were, right? There's a thousand words that you can use to insult someone and a thousand events in their past that you can use against them to insult them. But this is a particular word that is that exists outside of your conflict, right? 
it'll affect more than just one person, right? So, and I'd say in that case, if you're using it in such a way where it really affects someone like that, you should definitely get canceled. I think that, for example, if the person is like singing it in a song and all that stuff, they should get a stern warning, but I wouldn't say I want to take the platform away from that person, right? Or if they're singing it, for example, and um, let's say it's in a book or something, then they end up reading it and they think it's okay to read it, right? I'm not going to say take away that person's platform, but I'd say you need to give them a stern warning because I think that uh, although sometimes, you know, culture, cancel culture isn't like uh, successful in deplatforming someone, someone can easily get the message, right? And they can easily learn from it. And I, I think we should sort of adapt it so that it's able to become uh, a vehicle for learning rather than just sort of bringing people down. But I'll give you one example where someone generally, I don't think that they deserve a platform um, for a long time. Uh, there's a girl by the name of Lacey Mae Jones who made, um, I don't know, there's this beef between her and this other black girl. And um, she basically just came on and started saying all kinds of anti-black things like, oh, you know, your dad's probably gone to the shop to get milk and he's never come back. You see this shirt, it's cotton. Why don't you go and make me another one like your ancestors did, like something along those lines, right? And I'm very much paraphrasing, but that sort of situation, yeah, you need to, you need to definitely get that person um, deplatformed, at least for a while, because you can't be having those views uh, and like, you know, being willing to perpetuate those, uh, those systemic issues and still have a platform. And it, which actually brings me to the next couple of questions, right? If, if someone had said that, right, what, what's your opinion about, for example, pe people emailing someone's place of work or someone's school if they do something like that? And also the, the question to follow up to that is, do you think that after people get canceled in a while, do you think that they should have the opportunity to come back if they've reformed themselves? So with regards to the first question, and I, I most definitely see nothing wrong where if somebody says something or or does something, posts something, whatever the case might be, and let's let's say in this instance that it is like a it's a racial a racist thing, like the example that you gave, I have no problem with somebody emailing the person's place of work, emailing the person's person on business, their their school. I have no issue with that, um, because the way I see it, right, is that especially when it's a young person, you can even say when it's an older person. But young racist people, a young racist, if uncorrected, can grow up to become an adult racist, right? Adult racists eventually die racist. There's nothing you can really do there. But a young racist has the ability to change. And so that being said, if I see someone in my math class has these anti-Black sentiments, anti-Asian um, you know, sentiments, anti-whatever sentiments, and they want to be a, in the the police academy, or they want to be a doctor, or they want to be a lawyer. You best believe that I will I will say and do some whatever I can to stop, not necessarily to stop them from becoming that, because you can become a doctor or whatever. But I will do whatever I can to bring attention to your actions. And if having the school be aware of your your anti blackness is what I have to do, by all means I will do it. Um. What was what else was that? What was your, remind me of your second question again. Yeah, so do you feel like if someone's canceled and they end up changing for the better, do you think that they should be able to come back and people should be willing to accept them into the community? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so yes, I and you know I think I was hinting towards that with my previous sentiments that if you change for the better, right, then I have no problem welcoming you back with open arms, welcoming you back into you know the greater uncancelled society. But it's the it's that issue because if you have these sentiments, right, whether it be misogynistic, racist, xenophobic, anti-Semitic or Islamophobic, you understand what I'm saying? These are these are sentiments that are detrimental to society. And so I see cancel culture as a way, one of the ways that these ills of society can be remedied. And should you complete your treatment course and you 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 are deemed to be healthy enough to re-enter society, I have no issue opening the door and shaking your hand and welcoming you back. Yeah, no, those are those are very good points. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I, I genuinely agree with most of them. I think when it comes to the emailing thing, I think people need to realize this, right? You are an extension of your company, even when you're not at work. You are an extension and you're a representation of your company. Therefore, I would say myself that it is also, and this is the way I look at it, it would be unfair, right, for, you, for your employer right? And for your employer's business, for you to have a video that is entirely racist and it goes online and it's like viral and people are responding, responding, responding. Let's say you have a million views and um, you, you still want to keep your job. I think you're mad. I think you'd genuinely be mad if you think that you can do that because it's also unfair to the person who owns the business who's employing you to have that as their image, because think about it, 1 million views, you know, that's some, that's even more than some local marketing that you can actually do, right? And if they have that as their sort of, uh, the way the company is being seen, that would be very unfair for them because their company obviously must not represent those values unless you're Papa John's, right? And <laughs> I think when it comes to um, emailing someone, you should expect that guys. Um, this is a world of media. You are texting people, everything that you put online stays online right? And um, you should expect people to email your school and all this different stuff if you are obviously holding certain views, right? It seems like a professional thing to do. And I think Jamil had something to add. Yeah. Yes. So I just wanted to add in real quick with what you were saying about being an extension of the company, right? And when you say that, it reminds me of one of, one of the TikTokers that I follow on TikTok, a young man by the name of Youth Pastor Ryan right? Not a youth mm -hmm. pastor, but I guess he gives youth pastor vibes. And that's why he uses that name. Mm -hmm. He used to work for Disney World before, you know, this whole COVID shutdown and everything. And then they mm -hmm. furloughed some of their employees. So he lost his job. But before he lost his job, he would say, I work for Disney World. Now I don't speak for the brand or the company. Mm -hmm. And then he'd go along and say whatever it was he was saying. Now that he's lost his job, he really has to say, I don't speak for the brand or the company. But that distinction where he knows that what he says can be seen as a reflection of the company and therefore he makes sure that he has verbally and made it very clear that he distanced himself from it but you have a lot of people that go around and they'll they'll say these things and do these things and then you find out oh wow this guy's a lawyer so obviously he speaks for the firm that he works for or or this is a doctor he speaks for the hospital he works for and so you know just you mentioning that i want to throw that part out there yeah no, I think even in a, in a professional setting, guys, you need to be realistic. Your private life 
uh, and your, your professional life will overlap in some senses. And obviously, if you have a TikTok, whatever, and like you're spreading all this stuff, right, your employer might actually have the right to buy you and it'll be totally legal, right? You just need to consider all these things when you're posting. And a lot of them are actually very important. And someone might be like, oh, that's a bit drastic for someone saying the N-word. It's like, oh, but you don't really know the history behind it. And you don't know what system that you're playing into. And for you to be, I'd say, so arrogant to assume that that person shouldn't, first of all, that the employer doesn't need to get involved in some way, shape or form, or that the person doesn't deserve any repercussions, then that is literally a problem. And I think one thing that you mentioned is actually pretty, pretty good. And uh, the reason why I say that is because, um, you know, when cancel culture is seen as this mechanism by society to sort of deal with, with issues where people have been offended greatly, right? Or they're perpetuating ignorant systems. And I think, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna like equate any of this. Like, I just wanna give a bit of an example of how sometimes you, you have giving someone a voice, they might not be totally like extreme right, like, oh, let's kill all the Muslims, like, you know, some of these people, right? But I'll give you one example, right? There's some people who sort of function as like, you know, semi-right and they're Islamophobic, plain and blank, and they're spreading misinformation the problem is the crowd that these people attract, right? And this is why I'm saying it's like, yeah, if you're spreading false information, you could, you technically aren't encouraging hate crime, but you're making the environment for it. Like literally, you're literally just sort of uh, irrigating the plants for a seed of revolution against a certain group of people to start forming. And this is exactly what happened with Anders Breivik in uh, when he went and, I think he went to this leftist sort of organization where there was kids and shot them up. And he mentioned one speaker who was very Islamophobic. I can't remember her name, right? But he mentioned her in his manifesto, in his 1,500-page manifesto. We can't blame her for him going out and doing those stuff, but we need to know that you speaking and spreading harmful information, right? That's like literally just plain ignorance that gets to the point whereby you're giving these extreme, like, you know, people on the extreme edge, the opportunity to be like, oh, you know what, someone thinks like me in some way, shape or form. Now, I just want to take it a step further. So that's my main uh, element of how I see some cancel culture. But obviously, yeah, you can't really, that's only applicable to things like Islamophobia or um, being anti-Semitic, like, because obviously there have been several attacks on both of these communities, right? So we shouldn't, I don't think we should be letting people spread info misinformation like that that's definitely something wrong and which actually brings me to uh the next sort of area and it's a bit i'm not gonna lie this one's got me thinking quite a lot right um but cancelled culture sort of being uh traced back to the historic times and being applied to historical figures what is your opinion on cancelling historical figures cancel every single one of them Every single one of them, all the textbooks, take the statues down, every single last one of them. I have the opportunity of being from the beautiful island of Jamaica, where my mother, every year, her and her friends, when while we lived in America, would have a like Jamaica night. And Jamaica night was essentially just one night where between August 1st and August 6th, where we would celebrate both the Emancipation and Independence Day of Jamaica. And my mother 
and the her friends and all the people I always grew up with made it very clear that Christopher Columbus never discovered Jamaica. In Jamaica, we in Pato we have a word that that uh, we have a word called buck, and buck just means that like you came across. So they would say Christopher Columbus book up on Jamaica. He never discovered it. He just came across it. Now going to school in America, it was made very clear that Christopher Columbus discovered America. All right. So if Christopher Christopher Columbus discovered America. Now you have elementary school, middle school, and high school in America. And I watched as we went from having the Monday off and watching this whole little propaganda movie about Christopher Columbus to going to middle school where we didn't watch the movie that by high school, we no longer had the day off. And if you have an iPhone and you're in the States, you can check on your calendar and it'll show you where Columbus Day, slowly Columbus Day has been erased and has become indigenous people's day as it rightly should. That is just one example of canceling a historic figure. The amount of Confederate statues that riddle America, even in places like Alaska, where the Civil War it was never fought, but it's there. I'll never understand why, but you have at least one, you have one statue, one Confederate statue dedicated in Alaska. And so that being said, right. it's true. Some states have more, some states have up into the hundreds of it. And Gosh. so that being said, the Civil War was a part of American history. But what I personally, this is my understanding and my logic of it, was that in the Civil War, the Southern states seceded from the United States. They broke away, which means they were traitors. So to have statues up honoring traitors when there's a, 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 a coin of, what, what's the, what's the uh, turn of phrase in the, American, in the American English language where we say you're a Benedict Arnold, because during the American Revolutionary War, Benedict Arnold sold out America to the British. So we should also have a turn of phrase called, you're a, um, what's his name? Lee, you're a General Lee, and, and you're all these other Confederate generals who have their, their statues. And the fact of the matter is, even one of Lee's descendants says, take down the statues but you have people who want to take down the statues. So I have no problem canceling historic figures, right? We're out here questioning if Mount Rushmore, we can look at all the presidents on Mount Rushmore and tell you the things that they did that were cancel, cancel culture worthy, right? And I have no problem with that because as you, uh, I feel as though part of being human is, human is growing, right? As children, we see our parents as these faultless, almost godlike beings. And then there's a, everybody remembers the age they were when they realized, no, my mom and dad are just as flawed humans as I am. And so these same historical figures that we hold on a pedestal, we can hold them accountable and say, no, they were just as flawed as we are. Hmm. It's a very interesting take on it. And I think, um, gosh, you know, it's, this one's actually a tough one. In terms of, I think the, the main issue that I think society needs to confront is elevating people beyond their mention. This is the core issue in society. And this is my opinion. You don't have to you know, accept my opinion as truth, but this is my opinion. I don't think that any human being should have a statue 
right? And obviously this is like, I'm talking about normal human beings. For some people it's part of the like, you know, religious traditions and I'm not like refuting that practice your religion, right? I'm saying, right? I don't think any human being should have statues. I don't think any human being unless, yeah, should necessarily have days named after them, right? Or all these memorable stuff. I don't think presidents should, faces should be put on the money. I think it should be a certain element of the country or like maybe the people as one or even some mythical figure. But I just don't think that the presidents need to be put on the money. And here's my reason why, because the main reason why we're trying to drag down statues today is because at one point in time, people thought it was okay to do certain things. And I'm just imagining, you know, and I t I've tell, told people this uh, all of the time, you know, the liberals of today could end up being the conservatives of tomorrow. And sooner or later, we're going to find people wanting to take down the statues of the people that we're actually going to like erect of in the next few years, etc. <laughs> if you catch my drift, right? So I think that human beings are generally flawed people. Did these people do charity? Yes. Did they uh, perhaps change history in a certain way? Of course they did. But now the main, the main issue is that you've lifted them to such a degree whereby it feels as if they cannot be held to the, the normal day, like, you know, moral scrutiny that every single human being should face. Like, for example, Gandhi and the fact that, you know, we, we can have a whole talk about Gandhi and maybe you can- Let me just us, say that I've been trying to cancel first. Gandhi since 2016. I have been <laughs> on a personal vendetta to cancel Gandhi since 2016. Please tell us a bit more about Gandhi before I continue. So I was, yeah, I was, I was about 18 when I came, onto the, came to the understanding of what Gandhi really stood for. I understood that Gandhi had some anti-Black views. I understood that Gandhi enjoyed the company of, of younger children. Um, you know, I can credit Gandhi as someone who fought to end the indentureship of my Indian ancestors in the Caribbean and the Indian ancestors of others in the Caribbean and in Fiji and Mauritius and in Africa. But I can also credit Gandhi as being a man who did not want to enter doors that black people also had to enter through. I can credit him as saying that, you know, South Africa would prosper under a white Indian rule with blacks as a subservient class. And I am only one eighth Indian. I am seven eighths black. Gandhi wouldn't have liked me. Yeah, no, bro, I, I totally, yeah, it's, when I found out all of that, I think it was very shocking. And this is the main issue, is like, you're not holding, you're presenting one aspect of an individual and not, like, no, not giving the full picture, right? I think here's, and I, I spoke about this on my TikTok, when you're looking at historical figures, right, I think what you should do, it's like you're mining for gold. You have to mine the, the, the ore first, and like, you might get a bit of dust, and it's not going to be perfect, you have to melt down the gold and shape it into, you know, a specific form, right? I'm not saying we should change the characters or the way they're presented, right? But you just take what is good. Some, some mounds will give you more gold than you expect, and some mounds will leave you only with dust, right? So I think that's how we should look at historical figures, and we should stop this habit of feeling like we need to elevate people above their mention. You can mention them in history books, because, yeah, can credit them for what they've done. But I feel like history, when you're mentioning them in an academic context, their moral character and their stature can be critiqued in an academic sense. But when you put them as a statue, that 
is a totally different message because it's telling that this person is so great that we're attempting to immortalize them. And I think this is where it comes from. So in my opinion, if you'd ask me whether I would, I would, for example, cancel some of the, the main philosophers of like, you know, liberalism, like Thomas Hobbes, John Locke, and I believe it's Jean-Jacques Rousseau, like, you know, all these different people, I would say, I'm not gonna necessarily cancel or deplatform them. I don't wanna be associated, no, right? I'm just saying, if they were alive now, we probably would not have been good friends. Let's just put it that way. But I can definitely learn from their work. Is their work great? I think so. Their work is great in the sense that obviously um, the non-racist works, that's what I'm talking about. And uh, the extent to which they've impacted government, et cetera, all this different stuff, we can accept as something that is useful, right? But are we going to just simply forget about Montesquieu and how, despite the fact that he's the founder of this idea of separation of powers, that he was a blatant racist? And like one of those people who really, really pushed for racism, I think a lot of the, the founding fathers of all these schools of thought were just blatant racists. I think we need to teach both sides of the story. And I guess it comes down to, to this Jamel as well, just for modern day, right? Do you think that you can separate an artist from their art? And my, I wanna like, you know, couple that with an example. Do you think, for example, you can acknowledge R. Kelly's music in quotes, air quotes guys, as good? Or do you have to take him and his art as one thing and cancel them totally? So before I touched on the R. Kelly thing, I also kind of wanted to speak a little bit more on the historical figures part um, with relation to what you were saying, because you did mention the philosophers, right? And so I, I kind of carry a similar sentiment in the fact of that, like, for example, and for those who don't know, Jamaica is primarily a Christian country. We are, if you want to do the math statistically, it's about 60 something percent Christian. Rastafari makes up the, one of the smaller minority religions on the island. Now, our first prime minister was, whether you want to say he is a white man or white passing, that's up to you. But when you look at him, you certainly did not see black, you did not see Chinese, Arab, Jew, or, or Indian, and these are the other races on our island. So that being said, the first prime minister of Jamaica is quoted as having said that the only good Rasta is a dead Rasta. Now, those words then led to police and military killing about 150 Rastas, give or take. And as much as he is the first, you know, prime minister and he's one of our national heroes, I, I would say we can cancel him because what his, the actions, the words that his actions, the actions that his words led to, right? So now jumping to this R. Kelly thing, I kind of see it the same way where I, well, first and foremost, I've never really listened to R. Kelly's music. I think, I believe I Can Fly was a song I knew, but I never even knew it was by R. Kelly. Um, but I would hold him and his music together because his music was kind of what gave him the platform to do that, right? You know, maybe if his platform wasn't from music, I could maybe entertain the idea of keeping them separate, but I see them as one and the same, you know, I'm 22. I feel like I've always known that R. Kelly was doing the stuff that he's been accused of. It's just something, I feel like something we all knew when we were born because I felt like the, all the information was just out there and it just seeped into our brains as we grew up. 
So I, I also think I have an implicit bias against him. But like I said, because music is what gave him his platform and music is what allowed is was his vehicle to do what he did, I cannot separate the two. I think that's that's definitely an interesting argument. Um, and I think it's this is just generally like I think it's a case by case basis thing for me because you can't just say art is one specific thing, right? You know, like I think for example, Vincent Van Gogh must have been it must have held some interesting views because of the time he lived in, right? And I mean, we don't really, really don't know. I don't know, I have to research myself, but I'm just giving an example. Let's say, for example, he had certain views, right? Can we still admire his artwork, right? And forget about him as a character? Or, I mean, are we seeing it as really as an extension of himself? And the, when I ask myself that question, I think to a certain extent, in certain cases, you definitely can because you have to, right? Because you're using it in a sort of instrumentalist fashion whereby, for example, even as we go back to the philosophers, a lot of them were extremely racist, right? But we don't necessarily have to abide by the entire philosophy, including the racist parts. You take what is useful and you leave what is not. I think when it comes to more modern people like R. Kelly, I think it's also the fact that they're getting money from their streams and all this different stuff that is a major issue. So you're sort of empowering them, right? But I think, for example, can we acknowledge, for example, someone is talented in the field? Yes. But I think that talent and good character should not be mutually exclusive. I mean, we're just telling you to be a decent person here, right? You're not, we're not telling you to do, um, you know, to become like a prophet or something, or like, you know, someone that's extremely like, you know, like perfect. We're not trying to tell anyone to do that, right? We're just trying to tell people to be decent people and to respect other people. And I think that when you don't have those features, right? I mean, I can definitely acknowledge your art especially if you're someone, I think more or less, if you're a historical figure, I can definitely acknowledge your art, right? And I can separate it more or less, right? Because you're not earning anything from it, right? But I can do it in an instrumentalist fashion. And like, that, I'm using that word for a reason. Like I can, because it's useful to me, right? But in the sense of like, you know, using that to sort of make, uh, to sort of elevate you to a certain rank, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And the same thing applies to R. Kelly. I'd probably just say wholesale, um, like maybe later on, like in like a hundred years, you can maybe look at one of the tracks because it has a specific chord progression and look at, you know, in an instrumentalist fashion, say that this is perhaps uh, a very interesting chord progression that we've never really seen manifest itself in this way, et cetera. So we're not saying that necessarily the person is good, but what they produced at that point in time is useful. <laughs> and we're not necessarily saying that that person is good. And I think I'm just trying to sort of, I don't wanna make any sort of categorical statements because it really is a case by case uh, basis. And I think, um, yeah, you wanted to add something, Jamil? So I'm speaking like, as you're saying, it really is a case by case basis. I've seen, there is this one young lady on TikTok. I can't remember her name. I've seen maybe one or maybe a few of her videos where she's using that audio that goes, yes, but no, but yes, yes, but no, no. And she's using it for US presidents. So, you know, she'll have, when, when she says yes, it'll be something positive. Like, it'll be like, oh, was it, the question is, was this a good president? And so the yes will be for something positive they did, and then no will be for something negative they did. And with each president, you get that. You get some yeses and you get some noes. There's only like one president where she said no unequivocally for everything. There's the other, there's the other audio, the one that goes, I live inside you forever and ever, 
And I've noticed more and more that people are using it to call out people from history, like Mother Teresa, Gandhi, um, where, you know, it's like, yeah, this might have been something positive that they were doing, but like, now you have to live with this negative thing that they were doing. I've even seen where people are calling out H.P. Lovecraft because apparently his dog, he had named his dog the N-word. And so these are just things that are there. And so I agree with you. You don't have to adopt the person's entire philosophy. And I think, you know, when you're speaking of music, I think you can look at it from an instrumentalist point of view. If you're talking about a movie or a TV show, you can look at it from a cinematic type of view. You can look at a book from like a literature point of view. You don't necessarily have to be a fan of the author. I think maybe a few years from like maybe a couple hundred years from now, people will hold the same sentiments they have for H.P. Lovecraft. They'll, they'll hold it to J.K. Rowling, who knows? you know and so let's just see where we go yeah because honestly this is this is actually really tough i'm not gonna lie like it's it's very tough to make categorical statements <clears throat> because i found out one of my favorite childhood writings Annette blighton was a racist and it's not like one of her books i think was called three little niggers and there was literally this black face on the characters and I mean, I was, I, was, I was in a lecture and I'm, I'm looking at this in disbelief because I thought she was some innocent, nice old lady who cared for, you know, everyone around her. Oh my, you know, the thing is, I think this is why obviously like, you know, your childhood dreams, you have expectations and then people let them down. But yeah, that one definitely like, am I going to throw away her books and everything? I don't think so. There's some of her books that are good, right? And they're not racist per se. But those ones, oh my goodness. I mean, I'm, I'm so disappointed in my perception of her character compared to the actual reality, right? And that's just something that I have to live with. I, like I have to live with. And obviously I don't think I'm like, you know, gonna stop reading some of her books because obviously uh, some of them have very like, you know, they're, they're famous for a reason, right? Because of the storylines, et cetera. So as from a strictly in instrumentalist um, perspective, like using it for something good, it's like you're learning um, these storylines and you're just sort of seeing how she sort of used literary devices to tell a story but the other one is just all trash and they can just you know you can burn those books for fun if you want so uh, go ahead Jamil yeah all right so and something I want to add in because you you brought up a point where that you wouldn't cancel her entirely right and so it brings to mind an um in light of the murder of George Floyd here in the states there was a there was a mass movement of writing things that were deemed as racially unequal in America, right? So you had things from, you know, the changing of the name of the Washington football team um, has always been something that's been brought up. Um, people went to go change the depiction of Aunt Jemima. People went to go and change um, Uncle Ben, the guy on the cream of re cream of wheat. They were changing the name of a brand of ice cream sandwiches that was derogatory against the Inuit community and all these other things. And particularly Hulu, and I, I will call them out, Hulu took off an episode of The Golden Girls. Now, for those who don't know, The Golden Girls is a show. It's from maybe, I think it's maybe shot in the 90s, about four elderly white women living their life in Miami. Betty White, B. Arthur, Rue McClanahan, Estelle Getty. These are all white women. And there's an episode of the show where Dorothy's white son says, mom, I have a fiance. She says, cool, bring her over. Dorothy's son, Michael, then introduces his um, fiance, Lorraine. Lorraine is an African-American woman. 
Now, Lorraine is also 20 years older than Michael. Dorothy's issue is the age difference. Lorraine's family's issue is that he's white. There's a part of the episode, so you know, every sitcom has an A plot and a B plot. The B plot is that two of the characters, Betty White's character, Rue McClanahan's character, are trying to look younger. So they did a mud mask. And they step out into the living room while Lorraine and her Black family are there. And Betty White's character makes a very simple statement. We're not Black. We just have mud on our face. And it was taken off of Hulu because people were saying that this is an instance of Blackface. But if you understand the show Golden Girls, you understand that Golden Girls challenged certain conventions for the time. They had like a whole episode. They have several episodes on the LGBT community. They have an episodes tackling the stigma of AIDS. They have these like very, then they, it's, it's funny because these are like older women that you wouldn't expect to have to deal with these things. But like Blanche has a gay brother. Dorothy has a gay friend who fell in love with Rose. It was like all these things. Rose is scared that a blood transfusion she got might give her AIDS. And there's like Sophia has to get over the fact that like one of her friends might have AIDS. It's like this whole thing. And so, and I, I know that I'm kind of like running off on a tangent, so I'm going to get back to it. The fact that that episode was taken off, you know, some people could say, well, yeah, because that's blatantly racist. Others could say that it's not. And so it brings this, uh, this topic where sometimes cancel culture is like split down the middle because you have those who can see objectively what this was trying to go for and you have those who misread it. Mm. And it brings to mind the, the controversy with that one TikToker, Donnelly, where people were, mm. where, where people were saying because of the facial reactions he was making, he's essentially giving a dog whistle to make derogatory statements and attack the LGBT community, while others were saying, no, nah, the man's just making faces. Mm. Yo, yeah, no, I get you. I think uh, I, that's actually going to segue us into the next sort of section of critiques of cancel culture. I think it's a very interesting sort of perspective. Sometimes cancel culture is split down the middle. And I don't know which sort of direction they want to go now, because there's been a lot of instances <clears throat> where people have been wanting to cancel someone, but obviously there's been people that are pushing back against it. And I mean, I'll start off, this will be the first critique of cancel culture that I have, right? And yeah, obviously, yeah, sometimes cancel culture is split and that's a useful thing because it, it allows parts of society to connect with people and understand their different points of views, although it might be uncomfortable for the person caught in the middle who's actually done the thing, right? But I think it's very, that's something that's useful and we can use it for good. <clears throat> However, when we talk about where it's literally double standards. And this is one of the things about cancel culture that I absolutely abhor is the fact that some people just apply double standards to cancel culture. I wanna ask people who are listening, right? And please go ahead. I'm gonna put a poll on my Instagram after this episode drops, right? I'm gonna put a poll on my Instagram. If you needed to, to cancel Beyonce, right? Let's say she did something atrocious, totally atrocious, right? If you had to cancel Beyonce, would you? And I'm going to start with you, Jamil. Do you think Beyonce or someone like Jay-Z or someone like Rihanna is somewhat untouchable from this sort of canceled culture? I certainly think so. 
Um, and I think it comes from it comes from multiple avenues, right? So you have those who are diehard fans of Rihanna. And because they are diehard fans of Rihanna, they are diehard fans of Beyonce and Jay-Z, they will not cancel them because they see them almost on this God tier level of existence. That's one set of people. They are black, right? And so because they are black, and you and I had this conversation before the podcast started because I had seen it in a comment. I made a video addressing the Rihanna uh, Rihanna Savage fashion show thing with regards to a slightly separate topic. Well, it's the topic about the anti-blackness in the Muslim community. And people were saying that some people were making statements that they would never cancel Rihanna because they would never want to cancel a black woman. And so you have people who think like that. Now, you have people who would not want to cancel those people because they're black. You have people who would not want to cancel them because they're women. You have people who wouldn't want to cancel them because they're diehard fans. But I, and I, I can't see, I genuinely cannot see anything happening because even when, and I don't know if it, I don't know if it's true or not. So I'll say the rumor, right? And then those who know the story can say within themselves whether it's true or not. But when it was said that Jay Z cheated on on Beyonce, people were ready to cancel Jay Z. People can't see what I'm doing, but like I'm holding my hand out. Like where 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 is that? I'm not asking people to cancel Jay Z, but I'm saying that there was this energy to cancel him. But he's where where what happened? You know what I'm saying? So I, I can't see people like that getting canceled. I feel like, and and because there's this, there's this wraparound love and appreciation for them, it's it's harder to get them canceled versus say someone like 45 or, you know, Pence. People like the fly, they don't like Pence. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's, for me, it's just hypocrisy. If you are unwilling to hold someone accountable by the same standards by which you hold everyone else accountable, simply because of the fact that they cater to your biases, then you're a hypocrite. And I say that in the nicest way possible, but also in the most truthful way possible. Because it's, it's, it's like, you know, you say that you've agreed on a, a bit, a body of law, let's say that, some social law that you're going to enforce. And this law has genuine effects. We've seen people lose their platform this year. We have seen people have millions of followers, right? And then they just lose them, right? So my question is, they've done something that infringes these sort of boundaries that you've set. They've gone above or like, you know, past that boundary, right? But I think that if you're not willing to apply the same body of law to that other person, just because they cater to your biases, then you're not making society a better place. You're making society one-sided and you're making society unfair, right? And quite frankly, you're just sort of letting people go off the hook. And I bet you if it was someone on the other side, then you would totally not do the same thing. So I think for me, that's just definitely like, it's such a harmful trait of, of our society. And I guess as we uh, we're about to close off in the next like 10 minutes or so, but I just wanted to, couple, uh, to cover a couple of topics as well, right? In regards to my critiques of cancel culture, right? A lot of these people come to canceled culture as if they have this holier than thou mentality. There is one thing, whether it's problematic or embarrassing, right? That could affect your, your life, your daily life, 
right? It affects the way people see you. I'm pretty sure almost every single person has that one thing. It's either problematic or embarrassing, right? Uh, and more likely if it's problematic, you would have gotten canceled or whatever, right? So I think that when people think that, oh, just because I haven't had something problematic happen to me, or it's not as problematic, right? They sort of become like this sort of holier than thou sort of character. Like, um, um, you know, you get one chance and that's it. If you don't, like, you know, I think it's so toxic to just do that. Like, what makes you think that you're better than that person, right? Unless of course, it's like something that's really crazy, right? Like they just randomly killed someone for no reason, right? Or did something even worse, right? Um, I mean, those are things you have to take into account, but you, you, it's giving people this sort of idea that, you know, I'm holier than thou. And this is where stand culture also comes from. And I think stand culture is also very toxic. And it just talks about, I mean, um, it also like, you know, sort of brings about that system that we were talking about where people don't wanna hold to account people that they stand, right? And we've talked about this before, right? Um, so I think when you obviously combine those two, you get a very toxic system that you end up seeing today. So like, what's, um, what are some of your critiques uh, of cancel culture? And I'll also add some after you're done. So I definitely agree that stan culture plays into cancel culture, right? And I've made it very clear on my platform on TikTok that if I say something, whether it's on a live or in the comment sections or in a video that is wrong, I need, not even that I want you, I need you to call me out on it so that I can correct it. Because thinking that because I have this mass following, I am now untouchable is the reason why so many people feel as though they can do what they do. Because if somebody comes into my comments as says something, I'll just make a video weaponizing the following and say, go defend well, I'm not, a, I'm not a girl, but I'd say defend King B. Defend the King B, guys. Defend the Hive. Go get them. Defend Oglaland. Let's go. Right? And so I think that stand culture definitely is. And I see it. Like, you have people who, like, you have a creator, and they have a photo, and that photo is supposed to represent their cult. And so, you, like, you have all these people who use that cult photo as their profile picture. Now, like, I don't even know who's commenting anymore because all the six of you guys have the same profile picture. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And you're like, Papa has spoken. And I'm like, lol, <laughs> what the heck? Okay, whatever. Right? So mm -hmm. that that's my thing with, can and I, I think that's really where cancel culture stems in. Is we, you, all right, I think of cancel culture literally, right? As like going to like run for office right and you know in america you have people who drop out of the campaign because they run out of money and it's the same thing with cancel culture you can survive a season of cancel culture if you have the following to back up any check you cash facts i could go on tiktok right now right and i've done it um I know that in South Africa and in Trinidad and certain other countries, there is a word for the Indian South Asian community that's considered a slur. Now, where I'm from in Jamaica, while it's recognized as a slur, we still use it as the word for Indian South Asian people. I'm not going to say it out of respect for the listeners, right? But for those who know what the word is, you know what the word is. But on TikTok, I've said the word a few times and I've gotten DMs from people who are trying to cancel me because I use the word. But because 
my following understands the cultural context and I have enough Jamaicans and Guyanese to help me cash that check, I can cash it. But let's say if I were to come out and say something like blatantly homophobic, anti-Semitic, anti, you know, something like that, probably wouldn't survive a season. And so that's how I see cancel culture. It's it's the ability, it you can survive cancel culture as long as Beyonce, I don't I cannot see anybody like Beyonce, Jay-Z, Rihanna ever falling prey to cancel culture. You can attempt to you can attempt to run their pockets on cancel culture, but they have more than enough following to back up that check. Yeah. I think it's 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 incredibly sad because cancel culture is about numbers. If you can get enough people against you, then you know that's when you sort of that's that's basically how um, you cancel someone. You need more people to report the account so you can essentially deplatform that person. I think obviously it's a lot to take in, man. Because at the end of the day, yeah, Rihanna's never going to be cancelled, right? Uh, Beyonce is never going to be cancelled. Jay Z is never going to be cancelled. And I, I mean, these are some of the, the. This is just you know the epitome of cancel culture. Even I'll give you an example, right? Um, and I'm not trying to hold her to account for what she's already done and apologized for, but we know about someone like Nesbitt, right? Where she twerked to the Quran thing and all that stuff. And there's this whole sort of thing. What surprises me is how things went back to normal so quickly. And I think for me, obviously, if that was a smaller creator, that's the end. <laughs> like seriously, rest in peace to your platform. Because if you're a smaller creator, hell no. So I feel like a lot of people are so sympathetic based upon their stand biases. And I think we also need to be careful for that, of that. And the last thing I want us to cover before um, we close off is just, I mean, I think that cancel culture is problematic mainly for two reasons. There is no incentive to apologize because you mean it there's only an incentive to apologize because it hurts your platform. That's the first one, right? The second one is there's no incentive that people are giving for this person to want to learn and grow. You just wanna punish them, right? So that's gonna, I'm just gonna briefly explain the, the one for the apology, right? So people, when they apologize, I don't wanna hear I'm sorry anymore. I wanna hear why you're sorry and how you plan to improve, right? Because obviously like, you know, uh, you might've offended some people, you might've spread some sort of misinformation and this may have actually changed things like JC Dombrowski when it came to calling Islamic, Islam homophobic, right? Which clearly we've explained it several times how it's not, right? Um, and I think, you know, sort of just conflating between Muslim countries and their religion by itself and people having to recorrect and correct and correct, eventually he came out and apologized, right? And he explained why. I think his, his apology was actually a decent apology because he understood the ramifications of what he was saying, right? And it was better than the one Alaskan boy gave. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that's a topic for another day. But this one, I'm, <laughs> you know, before I, before I, you know, let me just keep my composure here. <laughs> but let, I think that people need to just like you know make real apologies yo it's not just sorry right the best apology is changed behavior and you need to just prove that right and you shouldn't stand someone for getting better you should maybe yeah you can be happier you can be proud of them character growth but stop standing people 
because oh my gosh they apologized how mature of them that's the that's the bare minimum guys it's like literally right because the more you do that now you've given them the ego back <laughs> literally you've given them the ego back so what was the whole point right so yeah then also like you need to teach these people if someone is saying the n word and they genuinely don't know or they they're just frustrated i know some white people are really frustrated and they're like you know it's just a word come on you guys you use it all the time and i've seen this in so many comment sections right and you need to first of all as hard as it is empathize with that person empathize with why they might not understand and help them understand and if they neglect to do so then that's that's their fault right um you don't have to you don't have to associate with yourself with their platform anymore and i guess they could end up getting cancelled right but uh, in general i think that's my main opinion on like you know the cancel culture mechanism for people apologizing that whole thing sometimes it just seems very fake to me and it's not really about making people better people it's about sort of it's like mob justice essentially and it's sort of cyber burning people at the stake with you know uh, by taking down their platform in a cyber sort of way um so what do you have to say about that jamil so who i agree that the apology is the bare minimum and i hate the fact that like as i was listening to you say it right it brought me back to like days of like elementary school where you hit somebody and the teacher tells you to say you're sorry and you say i'm sorry and they say sorry for what i'm sorry that i hit you say it like you mean it kyle <laughs> I'm sorry that I hit you. Okay. Like, I, I, I hate the idea that that's where we've come to, right? Where I feel like we have to, like, hold your hand and walk you through this apology. Because you should understand that what you, like, if you, if you are in a position where you have to apologize, sometimes you're not, sometimes people feel like they're not apologizing, they're apologizing, not because they're wrong, but because they want peace to reign, right? You have some people who just apologize because they just want, the world to go back to what it was before this whole thing happened and i feel as if that's an issue too because apology is an apology like i feel i feel as though if you are in a position where you have to apologize just apologize for what you didn't keep it moving the longer the longer you when, when, when you come on and you say i'm sorry if you felt offended by what i said because that's how i feel i don't need to know how you feel and it's not if you offended because you did you know what I'm saying? Like, I look at Rihanna's apology, and there are those who can say that her apology isn't heartfelt or things like that. But Rihanna's apology is a good example of an apology. Mm. Because the apology is, is, is acknowledging that you have wronged somebody. It is accepting responsibility for doing the wronging. And it's whether you want to make a promise or guarantee that things will be different in the future, that's up to you. But it's the acknowledgement of the wrong. It's apologizing for the wrong. And it, it's it's working to do better after after the after the fact. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Jamil. And I think one thing I want people to realize: if you are not part of a group of people, and you're casting stones at them, right? It does not matter your your opinion on whether or not they should be offended or not is none of your business. You have no place to decide upon on the behalf of a group of people whether or not something is offensive. 
And this rule applies to every single human being, right? So I don't want to see people using it against someone else and saying, oh, lighten up, it's just a joke, right? Right, people can get offended. And you need to acknowledge that. And to not acknowledge that is an issue. Obviously, we can have a separate discussion about jokes where are punching down and it's punching up, right? That's a separate discussion because that's the only exception that I find within that rule. But if it comes down to a certain marginalized community, and let's say you have, you're in a position of privilege, you have no place to tell that community why or how they should feel about something, right? That's just one thing I would like to end off with. And yeah, go ahead, Jamal. So I definitely want to piggyback off of that, right? And I I've, I spoke on this when it was the JC Dombrowski thing. I spoke on it when it came to the, to the Rihanna thing, right? In the sense that when somebody attacks Black people, nobody is allowed to tell Black people to how they should feel not even other black people. And I say that because every black person's experience is different. You and I have had conversations, you've lived on the continent and you've lived in Europe. I've lived in the Caribbean, I've lived in America. So our experiences are completely different. And so, you know, one time, you know, I sent you a video and I was like, like, bro, does this rub you the wrong way? And you're like, yeah, it rubs me the wrong way. And I was like, all right, cool. So we're on the same page here, but I also know there will be times where I will send you something and you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't see the, 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 what, what there is to be rubbed wrong or it could be the other way around. You know, I said this when it was the JC Dombrowski thing, I said, nobody can tell Muslims how to feel about this. And when it came to the Rihanna thing, I felt as though I was on two different ships because I said that non-Muslims should tell, I said non-Muslims are not in a place where they can tell Muslims how to feel. But I was also in the same breath, I was telling non-Muslims that you are not allowed to say these types of things to Black people. And, it, you know, when you are a minority, especially when there's an intersection intersection in your minorityhood, you often find yourself having to tell everyone around you that they are not in a position to tell you how to feel. Yeah, no, I think that whole Rihanna thing was just sort of crazy, I think, especially with the non-Black Muslim thing. At the same time, you were under fire from, you know, people who are not Muslim trying to justify this, right? I think we should aim to build empathy, and empathy is built through asking questions. Ask them, why do you feel that way? And understand it, right? And I do agree, and I'm saying this within, within all reasonable means, right? If you tell someone that their nail looks weird and they start crying, for example, like that's obviously something that is outside the reasonable realm. But I'm talking about something that either has to do with identity politics or something that's very deeply attached to that person, right? You can't tell that person how they should feel. So long as it's not like, you know, if the reasonable person would obviously get offended from that group, then I would say that um, you are in no position to tell them how to feel. But that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. Uh, Jamil, would you like to say anything before you head off? Um, just, you know, well, let me, let me do shout out that BuzzFeed article that was written. It's actually, give me two quick seconds. I will tell you the name of it. The Savage X Fenty incidents started a tirade of anti-Black hate comments from within the Muslim community. It was written by Ikran Dahir and Marina Imran. Yeah, 
Cool, guys. Go ahead, read that article. Uh, as usual, Daniel Boyd doing big things. Always so proud of him. Uh, and yeah, thank you guys so much. Next week, we're going to be talking about um, the Somali community. And as someone that's obviously <laughs> from both a Bantu and a Somali, you know, not, not like, you know, non-Somali Bantu group, and also a Somali group in terms of ethnicity and lineage. I think my perspective is kind of interesting, especially with the whole drama that happened last week, if you've been paying attention to that. But we're just going to be talking about stuff like the word Jarer. We're going to be talking about how it's been used. We're going to be talking about, obviously, the controversy of, this has come up quite a bit, of, in quotes, I am not Black, I am Somali. We're going to talk about Africanity, and we're going to talk about all these different things. Uh, so if you want to be a guest, uh, hit me up. And at the same time, uh, I just wish you guys have a wonderful weekend and a week ahead of you. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much with season eight. I hope you guys will be here for the rest of the episodes. Much love and respect. See you guys next time.